0: Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number two this morning, if you would. We're continuing our series entitled Magnify Jesus. You missed any of the messages so far? You can always get caught up on our website or download the Hui Kala app. If you have the Hui Kala app installed on your phone, you can actually uh, click the uh, uh, link for today's message uh, under podcast and click on fill in notes. You can actually type in your notes in uh, if you want to do that and then email it to yourself when you're done Whatever you do take really good notes and jot down some thoughts as we go through uh, this passage of scripture This is actually message number 30 in our series uh, of magnified Jesus uh, I know 30 verses or 30 messages into one chapter of Philippians. Uh, You're thinking how awesome is my pastor? I'm totally awesome. Uh, so th- Thank you. Uh, I was, I was pausing for an amen right there and finally got one. So, uh Anyway, i'm just kidding. Uh, but uh we start today, or actually last week we started in Philippians chapter 2, uh, we'll continue through that uh, verses 1 through 4 today, into verse number 5, uh, and 5, 6, and 7, which are just man, power-packed, uh, incredible verses, and so if you want to go ahead and read ahead, I would highly encourage that, if you've never read the book of Philippians, you should read it, man, there's some good stuff in there. Uh, so uh, we find ourselves today, Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse number 1, We're entitled today's, Strength and, today's message: Strength and Humility. There be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Uh, Verse 1 is an imperative verse. He's saying, because there is consolation in Christ, uh, because there is uh, comfort in love, because there is a fellowship of the Spirit, because there is mercy in the depths of our being, then we should have, verse number 2, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife for vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Last week we took a look at uh, kind of verses 1 what, where the Bible says that there shouldn't be any drama in the church. We shouldn't have any uh, fighting or arguments in the church. We should all kind of be on the same page together. Again, when we talk about unity in the church, the Bible really challenges two types of unity uh, all throughout Scripture. First is the unity behind doctrine and mission. Doctrinal and missional unity is the first type of unity that we find commanded in Scripture. That means that when it comes to the Bible, we all need to agree on what the Bible says. And doctrine either unites us together as a body or divides us into smaller factions. And so, uh, again, doctrine that divides uh, wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing if we're necessarily dividing in false doctrine. That's not bad. But we want to be on the same page according to what the Bible says. And so let the Bible be our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. That's one type of unity. The second type of unity uh, that is talking about here, especially in this passage, is unity. Can we get along with each other? Do we have any any problems with one another in the church? Is there a group of people over here that don't like that group of people over there? Are there people in our church that don't like each other, that don't get along? And the Bible says that just can't be in the church. And so uh, I'm not going to belabor that we talked about last week, how we can't have anybody in the church that doesn't like anybody else in the church. And if, if there is a problem, we need to solve it. We need to get back on the same page together because there's too much at stake. And so unity, really, really important to, to God, really important uh, according to scripture for us at church. Now, when we take a look at how that fits in with the idea of humility. Humility is one of those things that's very tough to come by. It's incredibly important, not only in the church, but also in we can't all be on the same page together. We can't all be uh, unified together as one body. We can't have uh, complete and total unity in the church as long as one thing exists, and that's pride. Pride is incredibly destructive. Pride uh, destroys everything that it touches. Pride uh, ruins churches, splits marriages, uh, and pride is one of those things that we've got to find it, and when we find it, we got to get rid of it. And so as we take a look at this passage, we're going to be taking a look at the importance of humility and how pride can influence and destroy not only the church, but really everything. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, jot down a few thoughts this morning. First of all, selfishness kills a Christ-like spirit. When we take a look at this passage again. Uh, we Verse number uh, three, it says even, it goes so far as to say, let uh, each person esteem others better than themselves. Verse four tells us not to mind our own things only, but mind the things of other people. And so, When we have the idea that it's all about me, we completely and totally kill a Christ-like spirit. You take a look at Jesus. Jesus didn't come for what he could get for himself. Jesus came for what he could do for others. Jesus didn't come to make a reputation for himself. He came to make a reputation for his father. Jesus wasn't looking for life from what he could get out of it, but what he could put into it. Selfishness completely and totally destroys any type of Christ-like spirit. Again, unity is going to be a problem in our church when everybody is self-focused. When I'm concerned with what you think about me, or I'm concerned with what I think about you, or what you said and what you really meant by that, and uh, this person walked past me and they didn't even speak to me when they walked past me, and I begin to uh, get in my own mind and begin to create problems where there is no problems, that selfishness is going to destroy all the unity that we're trying to accomplish in the church. And so selfishness is one of the first things that has to go. I'm going to break this to you for some of you. It might be the first time that you've heard it. If so, I want to give it to you gently but lovingly. Life, and the Christian life especially, is not about you. I know that's really hard for you to hear. But we're kind of taught from the very beginning of life even. <laughs> we have, uh, our, currently our, our youngest child is three years old. And our three-year-old believes that life revolves around her. When she's tired, she wants everybody to be tired and go to bed. When she wants it to be quiet, she wants everybody to be quiet. When she wants to watch a show, everybody needs to watch a show, but what show she wants to watch. And she doesn't watch an entire show. She'll watch ten minutes of this and five minutes of that and two minutes of this. And then she'll go play with her toys. But everything revolves around her. And, and we foster that spirit because we don't want her to cry. And so if she's crying because of this, we do whatever it takes to cause her to stop crying and we're good parents and so we'll discipline her from time to time say, hey, you don't always get your own way. But we're taught from a very young age that we need to have our needs met. And if we don't, we can pitch a fit until somebody meets our needs. That can't be for Christians. That especially is not gonna fly in the church. And so we'll, again, when we talk, the church we're not talking about the building we're not talking about a organization we're not talking about a 501c3 nonprofit. we're talking about men and women boys and girls that make up this assembly of people called the church and when it comes to us it's not about us it's not about what we can get from it about what we can put into it selfishness goes against who Jesus Christ is and selfishness goes against what Christians are supposed to be it's important to understand that pride destroys everything that it touches. The Bible says only by pride cometh contention. If there's drama in your marriage, pride is the root, result of, the root cause of it. If there is drama in your workplace, pride is the root cause of that. You got some drama going on with your neighbor, pride is the root cause of that. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. And please know that pride eventually will end up in your utter destruction. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, the Bible says. Pride is just bad, bad, bad on every single level. And so again, we have to take inventory of ourselves and say, hey, is there pride in me? When my wife frustrates me, and you say, does your wife frustrate you? She she does sometimes. I have to ask myself, why am I so frustrated by that? And generally, the answer to the reason why my wife frustrates me by the things that she says or the things that she does, nine times out of 10, the root, root, root cause of that is pride. She'll say, well, you shouldn't have done it like this. Oh, you think you're better than me? You think you've got a better way of doing this? Your way would have resulted in a different outcome in this? Oh, tell me all about that, uh, thou mount of all wisdom. Pride. Pride. Thing that it touches, the Bible says uh, uh pride. Psalm one thirty-eight, verse number six: Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly. God respects the humble, but the proud he knoweth afar off. <laughs> knoweth afar off means he sees you coming a mile away. And God has respect for those that are willing to humble themselves and be humble, but the going allow it to to go its own way and allow it to happen. And so again, it's important to understand that pride is so incredibly destructive. Pride should come with a warning (laughs) label. Everything this touches gets destroyed every single time. So again, it's helpful for us, especially as Christians, to ourselves from time to time, hey, is this pride? Especially in our relationships, only by pride comes contention. If we got drama in our household, pride is the root cause. We need to find it and get it. It's also important to understand that pride kind of tops the list of things that God hates. God hates pride. It's been um, disheartening, I think, to see uh, so many Christians that become polarized on Bible issues uh, that are really pretty clear. It's, oftentimes Christians will take uh, things that God says in his word to one extreme or the other as opposed to just allowing it to be what God caused it to be. It's been disheartening to see people who call themselves Christians say things like God hates homosexuals and God hates uh, other derogatory slang terms for homosexuals and things like that. And basically kind of make it their platform to talk about how much God hates gays. And you look at that and you go, that's problematic. So, well, the Bible says that you know it's an abomination for a man to lie with another man. Yes, I agree with that and I don't disagree with that. But when we make our platform to talk about who God hates, <laughs> we're not necessarily spreading the love of Christ the way we're commanded to. We're running a dangerous territory. On the flip side, there's other people who say, hey, uh, you're born this way, God made you this way, celebrate who you are, celebrate diversity, celebrate uh, how God made you, don't allow anybody to tell you anything otherwise, only God can judge you, do your own thing. Both of those are extremes that are terribly wrong. The Bible says that sin is sin and God hates sin to take a look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 16, it's uh, in your notes if you have the, the app open or if you printed out your notes before you came to church. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 16 says, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto them. It, this, this passage here, I want to set you straight on something really quick, is sometimes referred to the seven deadly sins. How many people have ever heard that before, the seven deadly sins? This is where it comes from, from Proverbs chapter 6, but let me tell you this, hold up, <laughs> all sin is deadly, 100%, Okay? So it's not, these are the seven deadly sins, look out for them. No, 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 all sin is deadly, 100% of it. Uh, the Bible says that, that sin came into the world and then death came upon all men, all men of sin. All sin is deadly. Let's get that straight from the beginning. The Bible says because you've sinned against God, because I've sinned against God, we are going to die one day, but not just physically, but we're going to die spiritually one day. Because of my sin, because of your sin, we deserve to go to hell when we die. That's what the Bible says. We deserve the penalty of sin. That's not these seven sins. That's all sin. But the Bible says that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins so we don't have to go to hell, so that we can be forgiven of our sin, that while sin is deadly, yes, Jesus died in your place. You see, you were supposed to die, but Jesus died on the cross for you. That if you'd be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus and say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I'm asking God to forgive me of my sins, the Bible says you could be saved from your sins and your sin would be paid for. That's what the Bible says. And so all sin is deadly and the only hope that we have for life in this life and the next is to be forgiven of our sins. And that's only through Jesus alone. A church couldn't forgive your sins if they wanted to. Baptism Never wash away your sins. Uh, Telling your sins to a priest or a pastor would never absolve you of any sin that you have. The only hope that you have is faith in Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins through him alone. This list of, quote, the seven deadly sins, or these six things that that the Lord hate, seven are an abomination. That abomination means it's so offensive to God that it makes him want to vomit, like, a violent reaction to how bad this is. Seven of these. And again, you have, you have churches who have made it their platform to take the Bible out of context and not read the entirety of Scripture and say, well, just a man to lay with a man is an abomination before God. Yes, the Bible says that. But what are these seven things that the Bible says are also an abomination to God? Let's take a look. Proverbs chapter six, verse number 16. These 16, doth the Lord hate, a yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one. A proud look. Huh. What clock's in at number one? Pride number one. So again, any Christian who would stand and shake their fist, shake their finger at people and call them wicked sinners, reprobates who need to get on our level and come over to our side because we're better than you, please understand that's a spirit of pride. That's not the spirit of Christ. That is a spirit of Antichrist. Well, how do you treat people who are different, who are living their life in in opposition to God's word? You love them, is what the Bible says. What's the very first thing that God hates? He hates pride. And it's important to understand that the Bible is God's word given to us. The the Bible says that God gave us his word, and, and holy men of God were moved as the Holy Spirit spoke to them to record the Bible for us. So when Solomon writes, these things that the Lord hate, ye seven are an abomination to him, and the first thing he lists is pride, that's not a coincidence, that's by design. That's the way that God designed his word. First thing that God hates is pride. Again, I believe that God does things by order. You take a look at the fruits of the Spirit, in chapter five, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. Again, because everything else flows from the love of God. Why? Because first John tells us that God is love. Hello. Things are in order on purpose. What's the first thing that God hates? God hates pride. What's the second thing that God hates. A lying tongue. God hates proud liars. Next, what does God hate? Hands that run to shed innocent blood this this verse along with a dozen others in the bible is why i'm going to say this and this is not a political statement this is a biblical statement this is why any legitimate bible believing christian is 100% pro life 100% no two ways about that you can't call yourself a bible believing christian and be pro choice you just can't because the bible says god who shed innocent blood and the life of a baby that has no choice that should be protected by its mother, it doesn't get any more innocent than that. Therefore, we can say because of this and a dozen other verses in the Bible, God is pro-life, therefore we are pro-life, 100%. And that's not really kind of a a discussion thing. And again, it's not a a political statement. It's just what the Bible says. God hates A proud look, a lying tongue. A heart that deviseth wicked imagination, a heart that thinks on sin continually. Feet to be swift in running, people that are looking to get into trouble, people that are looking to disobey God. <laughs> a false witness that speaketh lies. Hold up! Didn't God hates the lying tongue? Yeah, it says it again. <laughs> again, God doesn't. God's not repeating himself because he forgot what he says. Is that, that that big of a deal to God? God wants us to tell the truth all the time, because God is a God of truth. So again, God's word is truth, and to say anything contrary to that, would to to be a liar, or to make God a liar, therefore, truth is really important to God, and the top seven things that God hates, two of them are people that lie. And then the last one is is what? Get this. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren, (laughs) people stir up drama people that are looking for a fight people that are always looking to to cause division people that are always gossiping and causing problems god hates that so you got a god of love who hates certain things and the first thing he hates is pride hates it it's really interesting if we were to this is not a a, a message on the seven things that god hates or the so-called seven deadly sins And the idea of seven deadly sins did not originate with the Bible. That originated with Catholicism, if you want to study at some point. Uh, You can do your own study on that, but that's not what this is about today. But again, if we take a look at this, what causes one to lie? Pride. You know, what causes one to shed innocent blood? Pride. What causes my heart to think on wicked things? Pride. And If you look at this, all this kind of traces back to Pride. It's just a laundry list of the things that God hates. And the first thing that he hates is pride. So again, we as Bible-believing Christians, before we're quick to shake a finger at someone and tell them how wicked and sinful and awful they are, we need to check ourselves that we're not doing it in the spirit of pride. I stand with God's word in the fact that God made man man and woman. God created marriage for a man and a woman. I stand on that because that's what the Bible says and if you believe differently i want you to know this i love you and i want you to see it god's way i don't want you to get over on my side i want you to see it god's way and the only way that i'm going to do that is to be able to love you and encourage you to seek capital t truth and i'm not going to do that with a proud look or a lying tongue because god hates those things and so again it's not our job to go around correcting everyone and telling them what they've done wrong and telling them to get on our level that's pride and that's something that god hates Take a look back at Philippians chapter 2 uh, this morning. Verse number 3 let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Talking about Christians, we walk with integrity and we do what's right because it's right. We don't do th- things that we do because it benefits us or it works in our favor or it's because what, it's what we would like. We do the right thing because it's the right thing. If you walk with Jesus long enough and you've lived life long enough, you're going to come to a crossroads at some point where you've got to make a decision where it's what you want, but it's the right thing to do. And your integrity will be tested. I could do this and things will go in my favor. You'll come to a crossroad at some point in your life where you can either do the right thing or you can do what's best for you. This word strife means to make decisions without moral inhibitions. Is what the word strife means. It means I don't care what happens. I'm just in it for what's in it for me. I'm looking out for myself. And again, this is the opposite of Christ. This is the opposite of humility. And so the idea of us walking in integrity, that's what Christians do. Romans chapter 13, verse number 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. And the idea of of this is again, I'm looking to get myself ahead. We live in a society today where, that has programmed you that you need to constantly be moving ahead in life, whether it's financially, whether it's in your education, whether it's in your career, or most importantly, especially uh, in the last several years, in what other people think of you. Because evidently now it's a thing that if you are popular on social media, you just want to be more popular. Like, Five years ago, what is a social media influencer? I don't know what that means. Basically, for those of you that don't know, it's a person who doesn't have a job, that takes a lot of pictures and tries to get a lot of free stuff on the internet so that people will give them button presses on an app. Is that what I'm chasing? Am I chasing more followers on social media? But social media is set up that way. It's almost as if like, I saw something somebody posted the other day, it's like, oh yeah, like I care what you think, you only have 75 followers. What? So now we value you based on the number of people that follow you? Did you know that there are websites where you can actually buy followers if you wanted to do that? I could have 1,500 followers by the end of the day if I wanted to. And here's the worst part. Why is there a market for that? Because people are willing to buy it. So again, this is not, the idea of, of not doing things through strife is a matter of, I'm not trying to get ahead I'm not trying to improve my reputation or my clout or what other people think of me. I'm trying to make God greater in my life. That's humility. So when it comes to strife, again, James 3, verse number 13 says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation's works with meekness and wisdom, but you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. and Glory not and lie not against the truth says this, this type of wisdom is of the world, it's earthly. Stop trying to make yourself somebody, That's what it's saying here. Don't try to just get ahead at all costs. Look, I found in, in the limited amount of study that I do with social media is the more perverse things get on the internet with social media, the more people are attracted to that. Hey, if you're a girl and you want to get uh, a lot of followers on Instagram, show a lot of skin and you'll get more followers, guaranteed, 100%. You know, post a, a Bible verse about, hey, here's something I got from my Bible this morning, you'll get like three likes. Post yourself at the, the beach in a bikini, you'll get up 300 likes, you know. Again, because, and so then we automatically equate that. Well, uh, I want to to get more engagement with people. And, and for me, I'm terrified of a, a 12-year-old daughter who's going to grow up in this world. And I have to teach your value in what other people think if i find your value view your body Are you guys cutting my mic off on purpose i think you're doing it on purpose i'll move on that's fine um we'll get it we'll get it sorted out but here's the thing at the end of the day it's not about making a reputation for myself and i'll just go back to that one last thought this this will help out ladies ladies the more meat you put out the more flies you attract let me just say that If you're trying to get attention by using your body for attention, the type of attention is not the type of attention that you want. The more meat you put out, the more flies you get. That's just there. Um, And so, again, the second part of this is let nothing be done, verse number three, through strife or vain glory. We're not living for our own reputation. We're living for the glory of God. And so, again, at the end of the day, I'm not trying to advance what people think of me. I'm trying to advance people's knowledge of the gospel and their knowledge of God. That's what I'm trying to get at at the, at the end of the day. Last night, uh, no, it was Friday night. Uh, we'd been uh, doing some work on a couple different projects, and it was about 11.30 at night, and I was exhausted. And this rarely happens to me. People that have said this before, I don't believe them when they say it, but I, I, I had realized that at like 11.45, I hadn't eaten since like 11 that morning. And, like, I was so busy that I didn't get a chance to eat. Now, I can count on my one hand the number of times I've been so busy that I didn't have a chance to eat because I love to eat. And I, I rarely forget to eat. But it was, like, 11.39, I realized I haven't eaten, and uh, I thought to myself, I don't feel like I don't even feel like making a peanut butter sandwich at this point. But uh, I said, get the door, it's Domino's, and so we ordered pizza. It was glorious. Oh, man, it was good. And so, no lie, 12.15 rolls around. This guy rolls up uh, out front and brings our pizza in. It's a guy, he's probably in his early 60s, I would say. And I think to myself, here's a guy in his 60s at 12:15 at night in the middle of a pandemic that's delivering a pizza to my house on a Friday night because I'm lazy. And I felt terrible. And he came in and I said, I said, hey, Walter, thanks for bringing dinner tonight. I just didn't think ahead and didn't plan ahead. I'm sorry you had to get out late at night and bring this to me. He was like, no, no, I appreciate it. He goes, I think I've delivered, delivered pizza here to this church before. I said, I said, you have, I recognize you. And I gave him an invitation to church and invited him to come sometime. And I said, I really want you to know that I appreciate you doing this, Walter. And I hope to hope to see you around again sometime. He said, thanks. And as he walked out, he stopped and he said, hey, thanks for the generous tip, too, because we'd already tipped online on the app. And, and I said, man, God bless you. He said, God bless you, too. And he left. And here's the thing. I, I was kind to Walter. I thanked him. I wanted him to know that I appreciated him. I, I wanted to tip him well, because that's how this dude's paying his bills. Why? Because I wanted him to think that I'm a great dude. What a great dude that was. No, because I gave him an invitation to our church because he was delivering pizza to a church, and I want him to say, man, I don't know a lot about church. I don't know a lot about them people, but that guy was a good dude. And you know what the Bible says? Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I'm not trying to build a reputation for myself. I'm trying to build a reputation for, for God. That's the idea of this, this idea of let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. That word vainglory means empty glory for self. Stop trying to build your own kingdom. Stop, start, stop trying to build your own empire and join in with the King of kings and Lord of lords who already has his own kingdom. Start building that kingdom with him and that's where you'll begin to see things change. So again, it, it has very little to do with me and it has everything to do with him. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number two says it this way. Paul says, Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet I'm not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Here's what Paul's saying. Your opinion of me really at the end of the day doesn't matter a whole lot because at the end of the day, I just want God to be pleased with my life. And that's kind of a good way to live, that at the end of the day, I'm just living for the Lord. There's going to be people who disagree with my viewpoints on life. There's going to be people that disagree with my Christian worldview. That's okay. But at the end of the day, the Lord is going to be the one who judges me. Now, it's careful that we don't misapply this. Sometimes I've seen carnal Christians misapply this. Uh, They want to go out and get drunk and be sexually immoral and things like that and say, whoa, 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 you can't tell me what to do. Only God can judge me. No, God's already judged that type of behavior in his word. And what Paul's saying here is, I don't really care what you think of me as far as your preferences of me are concerned. I want to be judged right according to God's word. And so at the end of the day, I'm going to get people to be fans of mine. Get people to be followers of Jesus. That's the difference here. Let nothing be done through strife for vainglory. It's not about me, it's all about Jesus. Take a look at verses three and four humility love for others and service follows the example of jesus christ verse number three let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others so really when it boils down to it the christian life is really about this loving god serving others and when we do that, when we're willing to humble ourselves, love, love other people, serve God through serving other people, that really begins to adopt the mind of Christ. But here's the, the thing about it. It begins with a new way of, of us as Christians. We've got to change our way of thinking. We can't do things the way that we used to or the way that we've always done things. That's why in verse number five it says this, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Hey, this isn't the way you normally think. You don't normally think about taking care of other people before you take care of yourself. So, you don't normally think about, you, you. we normally think about what other people think of us. That has to change. It begins with a new way of thinking. It was neat as I studied out this passage, I found something interesting. That phrase, lowliness of mind, Paul wrote the, this letter to the church at Philippi in the Greek language, and the Greek word that he uses there for lowliness of mind is found nowhere else in the Bible. This is the only place where that, that, that Greek word phrase was used to mean lowliness of mind. And it's interesting as Greek scholars studied other Greek literature. There was ancient Greek literature in the same time frame. They never found that word used once ever again. So it's almost like this is a word that Paul made up and used it one time and never used it again. But the, the root word of the word that he uses goes back to the word of Slave. So it means to adopt the mindset of a slave, lowliness of mind. And it's interesting, Paul kind of made up a a word, I wouldn't say on the fly because God gave it to him because that's why he wrote it. But Paul made up a word that basically says lowliness of mind. Take on the mindset of a slave. As you read through the Bible, you'll find the word servant and slave can be used interchangeably. They mean basically the same thing. And when we think of adopting the mindset of a slave, it's this. What am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to do it? A slave doesn't get to set his own hours and uh, get to set his own uh, criteria for the job that he wants to do. He doesn't get to pick and choose what he likes and what he doesn't like. He just says, hey, what is supposed to get done? Let me do that. And so this idea of a lowliness in mind is adopting a totally new mindset where other people come first before me. It's interesting the Bible speaks much about and the Bible speaks much about humility, and humility really allows God to do his work in us and through us. And James 4:10 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Lift it up so that God can use your life. You want to be exalted in a way that God really gets glory from you. Here's the best way to do it: humble yourself. I remember when Angel and I first started following Jesus, we were plugged into a, a good church and I went to the pastor, and I said, hey, uh, I think I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to get involved and roll up my sleeves and get to work. And you know, uh, he's like, oh, that'd be good. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm telling the pastor this, and he's, he's got some ideas in his mind. I'll probably lead a youth ministry, or I'll probably teach a Sunday school class, or maybe I'll start a men's group, and I'll challenge these men. Maybe I'll uh, rally a bunch of people together to do something great for Christ. And I told him I wanted to get to work, and he said, show up here on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Man, I can't wait. Saturday morning, 10 o'clock. I, don't, I brought my Bible and stuff like that. I was ready. I show up, my Bible in my hand. He's like, take all the chairs, move them over to this side, sweep. All the chairs over to the other side, sweep. And when you're done, mop the whole thing. You want me to clean the auditorium? Yeah. Oh, I thought I was going to like serve. <laughs> I'm like, I want like, this is doing something. Well, no, like I was going to like do something, do something. What's that? It's a, it's a prideful mindset. I want something with a title associated, you know. I want, I want something that, that matters. I want something that means something, you know. I'm not trying to sweep and mop floors. You can hire somebody to do that. Oh, okay. That's why the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, the idea of this, when it comes to service, many times everybody wants to do something if they get a title for it. Again, everybody wants to do something if they're a president of a committee or something. It's funny to me, you go to, to church websites now and you take a look at About Our Leadership and they've got 80 people that they have on their website and everybody's got the title of assistant pastor of something. That's the funny thing about it, you know. Here's Joe. You know, he's not a groundskeeper. Joe is the assistant pastor of facilities and grounds maintenance. What? Why can't Joe just be the janitor? No, he's not. He's the assistant pastor of facilities, grounds, and maintenance. First of all, you need to look up what the word pastor means. It's a shepherd of people, okay? And when you're in grounds and maintenance, people to shepherd through that. So you don't really get to be a pastor of grounds and maintenance. But here's the thing people thrive on titles, and people live up to titles that they have. What's a title for you? You ready for your, your job title? Servant of Jesus. There you go. And again, you said, well, that's word servant can be used interchangeably with slave. Good. Slave of Jesus. That's good too. I like that. That has a better ring to it. Slave of Jesus. But here's the thing, serving with lowliness of mind is a matter of, I don't, I'm not really concerned with a job title. I'm not sitting around with trying to get the best job that everybody else has. I'm looking for an opportunity to jump in and get to work. And so God says this, First Peter chapter 5, verse number 5, it says, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all be subject one to another. He says, submit yourselves to each other and be clothed with humility. Here, 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, and please don't miss this. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Please don't miss that. He resisteth the proud, gives grace to the humble. The word grace means undeserved, unmerited favor. God's gonna give you things that you don't deserve if you're willing to be humble. God's gonna pour upon you the things that you need to make it day by day that you do not deserve, that you can never earn In your entire lifetime, He will give you those things if you're willing to be humble. But if you want to be proud and thump your chest every time you do something, God's going to resist that. Think of a a football player stiff arming somebody as he runs up the field with a football tucked under him, pushing those guys away. That's what God does to the proud. He resists the proud. Hey, back off, keep some space here. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So humility actually allows God to do greater things in me and through me if I'm willing to walk in humility. Next, Christ-like love you value yourself. Christ-like love begins by valuing others more than you value yourself. This is a hard one. Take a look at verse number um, three. "Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem each other better than themselves. The phrase, esteem others, means to value someone higher than you value yourself. If you were to ask me, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do I value myself? I'd probably say 10 out of 10. You know why? Because when I'm hungry, I want to eat. When I'm tired, I want to sleep. If I want to watch TV, I want to watch TV. and I watch TV. If I want to go somewhere, I go somewhere. And so I value myself pretty highly in the fact that whatever I want, I make sure that I get it. That's just selfishness. And so it was a good thing. I said, that's just value. When I talk about valuing my wife, I would say she's 10 out of 10 too. There's been times, you know, uh, in our marriage, and this is just what marriage is, where she wants something that I don't and I choose to give it to her anyways because I love her. And I value her a 10 out of 10. And if it comes down to what she wants and what I want, I want to give her what she wants every single time because that's what love does. And I can love my wife and I value her 10 out of 10. My kids, I value them 10 out of 10. I don't always give them what they want because I'm a good father that loves them and gives them what they need instead. But I value them 10 out of 10. And and if you're a good parent, there's been times in your life where you said, hey, this is what I want, but this is what my kids need, and I'm willing to do what they need first. This is what my kid needs, and I'm willing to make sacrifices on my behalf for what my kids need because I value my kids 10 out of 10. No problem. (laughs) That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about the dude that checked you out at Long's last night. How do you value him? Is he a 10 out of 10? Maybe a five out of ten. I mean, I don't want anything bad to happen to the guy. You know, I don't want him to die or get sick or get hit by a car. I, don't, I value him five out of ten. Then you're not doing what this verse says. I don't value the jerk ten out of ten. I value him probably three out of ten because he's a jerk so I don't value him the way that I should. That's not what, that's the opposite of what this verse is calling for. They say, hey, I know he's a jerk, but he needs to know Jesus. That's why he's a jerk, because he doesn't know Jesus. Or if he claims to know Jesus, he's not walking with Jesus. That's why he's a jerk. I want to help him walk with Jesus. How do I do that? I do that by valuing him as a 10 out of 10 and myself as a nine out of 10. I want to value him higher than I value myself. That's what Christ-like love looks like. When 10 lepers came to Jesus Christ and asked to be healed, Jesus didn't value himself more than he valued them. You know what he did? He allowed them to come close, which they should not have been allowed to do because they were unclean. Were it not God in the flesh, it had an opportunity of giving him a sickness that he couldn't get rid of. But he valued them. And then when only one turned around to say thanks, only one gave thanks, gratitude did he take back what he given to the other nine because they weren't thankful no he continued to value them because he walked in humility it's a different mindset that's why verse number five says let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus guys think like this automatically that's why we have to change that's why we have to be willing to humble ourselves that's why we need to be willing to do whatever needs to be done you see, maturity begins in knowing your role and knowing your place. And probably 15 plus years ago, uh, Pastor Rick Warren in California Saddleback Church. I do not like Rick Warren's theology. I, th- I don't, do not not agree with him as a solid Bible teacher. He's got 101 doctrinal problems. He wrote a really influential book that had some good nuggets of truth in it called The Purpose Driven Life. Um, and, and again, if you can write a book that's quote Christian that is accepted by by Catholics, Muslims, Seventh Day Adventists, Baptists, and Methodists, something in there doesn't jive with the gospel because everybody doesn't agree on the gospel of that. But that's an aside. There were some helpful things in the book that were that I took that I read. No doubt about it. The very first sentence of the book, outstanding. It says this: "It's not about you." And that kind of sets the stage for the Christian life. And when you begin to look at life as it's not really about me, that kind of takes a little bit of pressure off. If somebody thinks that I'm lame for the kind of car that I drive, I don't care because life's not about me. And frankly, I don't care what you think about the type of car that I drive. If you think I'm a terrible dresser, that's fine, because I really, at the end of the day, don't care what you think about what kind of clothes that I wear. I'm greatly concerned with what you think about Jesus. I'm not really concerned with your your, your thoughts on, on what kind of car I drive or how much money I make or anything like that because it's not about me. No. This morning I wanted to make sure that I got up and, and looked presentable. I ironed my clothes before uh, I got up here because I want to present Jesus in a positive light. Did, I didn't know this until just a couple of years ago. If this is you. I love you. Uh, did you know that there are people who don't own irons? Uh, that That blows me away. And like... I don't know how you make it in life, but I'm proud of you. You did it. Uh, but And some of you are squirming in your seat. You're uncomfortable. I still love you. It's okay. But, uh, but like for me, I, I feel I, I have to iron everything. No, I think I probably caught it from my wife. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. Uh, my wife and I uh, dated for a short time. We got married. Uh, then we went on our honeymoon. We got back from our honeymoon. We moved our apartments together. We merged into to one house and lived in my bachelor pad. Uh, but it was an awesome bachelor pad. Uh, and so uh very first night nola we're getting ready to go to bed she turns on the iron right before bedtime i thought well that's strange she's gonna iron my uniform for the next day she's getting the whole wife thing down at the very beginning you know iron my clothes before she goes to bed. i love it love it i married a good woman she pulls out her pajama pants and she takes the drawstring and lays them flat and she irons the drawstring of her pajama pants and i said what are you doing and she's like i'm getting ready for bed this is how you get ready for bed And I think to myself, I've already married her now. There's no turning back. But, like, I married a psychopath, you know? What in the world? And so, no lie, very first night in our own home, she irons the drawstrings of her pajama pants, puts on her pajama pants, ties them in a bow, and jumps in the bed. And I thought to myself, what have I gotten myself into? This is madness. But then it eventually grew on me, and I iron everything now, too. But here's the thing. I didn't want to, to, to look sharp because I want you to think well of me. I want to, to look sharp because I represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm created in the image of God, and I want God to look good. And so, again, at the end of the day, I'm not really concerned with you thinking well of me. I'm, I'm very concerned with you thinking great of Jesus. But here's the thing. That's because it took me a long time to figure out what my role was. And my role is not to draw people to me. My role is to draw people to Christ. And when we get that down, we'll be a-okay. When we realize this life isn't about us and what we get out of it or, or, or what people think of us or building our own empire or building our own clout or building our own brand and our own platform, it's all about Jesus. Then we'll get things sorted out a little bit easier. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said this. Matthew chapter 26. It shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Now, pause for just a second. That word minister that Jesus uses there doesn't mean a guy in a a, a stuffy white shirt who opens uh, the Bible with with his glasses down on the rim of his nose and says, turn your Bibles to the book of Luke this morning. That's not a minister. The word minister means servant. So whoever's greatest among you is going to be the guy who's actually getting it done. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And again, when you see that word servant, you can almost always, 100% of the time, use it interchangeably with the word slave. And again, please don't get me started on whether or not it's politically correct to call people slaves or not. Okay, the Bible uses that word again and again, and we're going to use it because it's what we are. We're bond slaves to Christ, the Bible says, because we've been purchased out of the slave market of sin and brought into the family of God. And we're servants of God. But here's the thing. The idea of servant here is less of a guy in a tuxedo with a, a silver platter saying, can I get you anything to drink, sir? We often think of that as servant servant. No, this is more of the dude who's wearing ripped clothes who has dirt under his fingernails because he's been digging a ditch with his bare hands. That's the type of servant that Jesus is talking about. Not the, the, the comfortable, I don't want to get myself dirt. He knows nothing but, but hard work. And so again, totally different, but it's exactly what God's called us to do. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse number 7 through 11, Jesus gives a parable of a wedding feast. I will not take time to read it, but I'll kind of give you the paraphrase of it. Jesus says, when you're invited to a feast like a wedding, go sit at the lowest table in the lowest room. Because if you take yourself at the the head of the table, they might ask you to move later because somebody more important is there. Think of it this way. We go to dinner, and I I think I'm pretty important. And so I show up for dinner, and I sit at the head of the table and wait for everybody to show up. And somebody comes and taps me on my shoulder and goes, excuse me, Anthony, could you move? There's somebody a little bit more important that's going to sit in this seat. And Jesus says, how embarrassing would that be if you're the guy that has to move because somebody more important than you is there? It's better for you, Jesus said, I'm gonna use an example that some of you know. It's better for you, Jesus said, to sit at the kid's table that's a folding card table in the kitchen and be called into the grown-up's table in the dining room than to sit at the dining room and then be told to go into the kitchen to the folding card table. How many know the folding card table in the kitchen? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's better for you to sit with the kids first and be invited to the adult table than to be at the adult table and be asked to go to the kids table. So, no lie, for me, I'm, if I'm ever invited into someone's home or if I'm ever invited to dinner with anybody, I always—this is just, it's just habit—I always stand back and just say, "Hey, where would you like me to sit?" Because I don't want where I choose to be automatically assumed. Oh, he chose that seat because he thinks he's important. He chose that seat because it's close to the food and he's fat. Uh, I don't don't make any assumptions. I'm just gonna sit back. I know I'm overweight. They call it a dad bod now. It's actually a really good thing. Uh, and so it's a, posi- it's a body positivity thing, right? And so um, you made me lose my train of thought. Oh, <laughs> I know where I was. It's better to sit back and have somebody tell you where to sit or to sit at the lowest table and be brought up to a higher table than to do it the other way around. Here's the idea when we show up to, to do stuff, hey, what am I supposed to do? Put me to work. Uh, if you're not part of a small group, you should jump in one for a hundred different reasons. But one of the things I love about our small groups is our small groups are in charge of cleaning the church on Sunday, on Saturday mornings. Saturday mornings, nine o'clock. We have rotating small groups that'll come and clean the church. And you know what? You know what I love it. I love it, but our church and scrub toilets and change out paper towel dispensers, make sure there's enough hand sanitizer around, and vacuum and leaf blow out the atrium and stuff like that. And it's just a bunch of people jumped in together. You know why? Because hey, this is our church. This is what we do. We serve. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, we got a special thing we're going to do. We call it Be the Church. Instead of coming to church, we're going to go out into our community and be the church. And what we're going to do is we're going to go out uh, to the, the streets around us uh, in our neighborhood and, and basically beautify our neighborhood. There's a ridiculous amount of weeds over on uh, uh, Queen, Queen. what turns into Queen Street over here on Waimano Street down here. We're going to take care of all of that. No lie, the last time the weeds were were done over there was the last time our church did it probably two and a half years ago We're gonna take care of that. It's an eyesore. It's terrible It makes our community look bad instead of writing letters and and sending a letter to the editor Posting stuff on social media trying to shame somebody into doing something We're just gonna take the bull by the horns and get her done. So that's what we're gonna do this afternoon 4 o'clock Please come. It'll be awesome. Uh, But here's the idea. Why are we doing that because we want to make a name for ourselves? No, because we're trying to draw people to Jesus. Because we're trying to humble ourselves and be willing to do the work that nobody else obviously wants to do in our neighborhood. We'll do it. It's not a matter of pride. Look, fine, if you don't do it, we will. We are awesome. No, it's a matter of like, no, it needs to get done, we'll do it. No problem. We're not afraid of hard work. We're Christians. This is what we do. Why? Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good deeds, they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's all it's all about, making Jesus look good. But mature Christians are concerned most with the glory of God while loving and serving others. Again, at the end of the day, we need to realize that life is not about me. It's about what I can give to others, how I can serve other people. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? What can I do to get you a little bit further up the road in your walk with Christ? What can I do this week to advance the kingdom of God? What can I do to make Jesus' name great this week? Mature Christians figure out that's what it's really all about. Immature Christians say what's in it for me. Immature Christians say, Well, I didn't like that I didn't have a place to park. I didn't like the song that we sing. I thought the music was lame. I thought the auditorium was too cold. I don't like it this way. I, I thought that this that that's about you. Mature Christians are like, hey, what can I do to jump in? How can I how can I move the needle moving the I want to get in on that. That's what it means to be willing to humble yourself. You don't have a title. Here's the thing, I'm a pastor. Because there's two offices in the church: the pastor and the deacon. That's it. I fulfill a role in the church, an office in the church, but that's not my title. That's not my role. You know what my role is? Slave of Jesus, the same as everybody else. You know, four o'clock in afternoon, you know what I'm gonna be doing? I'll be pulling weeds or painting over graffiti or doing something. I don't get to sit back and watch everybody while they work and point at people what they're supposed to do and bark orders because I'm the pastor. The pastor's a shepherd. He guides his sheep. My job is is no different than anybody else's job. We're here to serve Jesus. But again, at the end of the day, it has to be a matter of, I'm doing this in love and service to other people. I'm not concerned with what it means to me. Hey, honestly, are there things that I would want to do on a Sunday afternoon rather than go out and pull weeds? Absolutely. Take a nap. I love naps. Get something to eat. I love to eat. Do I like to serve? Sometimes. But we serve whether we feel like it or not. That's what Jesus did. Were there times that Jesus didn't feel like serving? Absolutely. There were times where he pulled away to get some time alone with the Lord, and spend some time in prayer, and people followed him. There were times where he tried to take a nap, and people woke him up and says, "Master, we perish. Can you wake up and save us?" Always willing to think of others, Jesus was. And again, this is not normal for us. That's why verse number five says, "Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." 1 Corinthians, this is beautiful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 33. Turn, turn over there if you would. We're, we're gonna wrap this up with this, this verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33 in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 33, Paul says this. Even as I please all men in all things, Seeking not my own profit, but the profit of many. As I do everything I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to do it to advance myself. I'm not trying to please myself. I'm not trying to bring any profit to myself. I'm looking to love, serve, please, profit others. But it doesn't stop there. Here's what he says. That they may be saved. Guys, this is what it all wraps up to. This is what it all concludes to. I want to humble myself in such a way that my love and service towards other people draws them to Christ so that they can be saved. How about that? That's what it's all about. Hmm. If you look at Philippians, where we've been been reading through, and if you just begin reading back up from where we've been, we find ourselves that we're to take care of one another and value other people more than we value ourselves, to love and serve each other in in humility, to look on the things of others, not just the things of ourselves. That we're not, again, we're going backwards up in this passage here, that we're not to have any strife or drama in the church, no vain glory, not trying to build our own platform or do our own thing. We need to have unity, be of the same mind as we trace this back up here. And we go back up into Philippians chapter one, verse number 27. We have one mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel oh man this is all tied together this is all connected that our humility and service and love towards one another strengthens the unity that we have no interpersonal drama which is strengthened by the unity that we have in christ and the power of the gospel so that we can advance the kingdom through the way that we live our lives every single day again if you remember philippians 1 let your conversation the way that you live every single day be as it it becometh the gospel of christ this is all connected and it's beautiful you and i get the opportunity to change eternity by the way we live our lives every single day that's huge tomorrow morning when you go and clock into work tomorrow morning when you go to class tomorrow morning when you stop to pick up coffee you get the opportunity to change eternity by the way that you live your life bless you with these kids for the rest of their lives you have the opportunity to invest in, in eternity for the rest of their lives in these kids by loving and serving your children oh, this is huge huge but you know what destroys every single bit of what we're trying to accomplish, pride. Final thoughts this morning. First of all, pride wrecks marriages, splits churches, creates tension wherever it goes, and it cannot afford to be stuck around. You got to get rid of it. Again, pride is an anti-Christ spirit. If the spirit of Christ is humility, service, care for others, pride is the opposite of that. It's anti-Christ. So it's got to go because it it destroys everything that it touches. When couples come in for marriage counseling, I always ask, where is the pride? (laughs) Because it's there somewhere. If there's contention, if there's conflict in the house, you can say, oh, we're having communication problems. Okay, fine, but probably somewhere down route there is some sin, probably, most definitely, there's probably pride somewhere. Only by pride comes contention. So again, it's one of these things that we have to look at and say, we have a zero tolerance policy for this. And I'm just going to be really transparent with you. I don't struggle with things like alcohol. I've never drank alcohol a day in my life. If you put a six-pack of beer in my fridge, it would sit there until Jesus comes, and I would just be angry that it was taking up space in my fridge. It's just not a temptation for me. I would never open it up and go, oh, what should I do? What should I? Just It's taking up space, and I could really just get rid of it. I mean, seriously. But I don't struggle with that. Now, there's people in our church that went to a a barbecue and somebody said, hey, do you want a beer? You would struggle with that. Like, "Mm, no, not a temptation for me. Doesn't mean that I'm better than you because here's what I'm getting ready to tell you. (laughs) Pride has my phone number and it calls every single day. Every single day. And I gotta choose to either send it to voicemail or hit that block button. But here's the thing, if I choose to block that number, it's like a stupid telemarketer is the next day and call back with a different number, right? because pride is after me. Here, here's the thing. I have to be careful that when people leave church on a Sunday morning, they say, Pastor, there's a great message. Here's what I always say. The Bible is a good book, and it's 100% plagiarized. Everything I said today is 100% plagiarized from the Bible. Not an original thought that I have. Praise God for a good book. That's it. No. It would be easy for me because I'm prone to pride. Message, wasn't it? Good. one. did you like that? Did you like that part about vainglory, That whole like mind of a slave thing. You never heard that before, have you? Oh, that was good. huh? Yeah. You might have been in church long. You never heard of that before, have you? Oh, that was good. Yeah. That's that. That's pride. And be careful with that. Like, oh, pride is always there. And so for me, I fight against pride every single day. And I gotta be careful because pride creeps in. Pride's kind of sneaky in the fact that you know you don't know it's there, but it's there. And so I'm going to confess to you, and again, if you if you want to pray for your pastor, pray that God would give me wisdom, that God would give me a spirit of humility. I pray that for myself every single day because I am prone to pride. Now, again, if I say that I'm a proud person, mark that down. I've made peace with my sin, and I'm okay with it. And I can't say, oh, I'm just a proud person. That's just who I am. No, you can't. Because, again, these, first of them is pride. So again, we've got to come back to the point where where pride is one of those things we cannot allow to stand zero tolerance policy. Next. Pride is sometimes hard to identify, but it's always lurking. Find it and root it out. I want to ask God continually again and again and again, is there a spirit of pride in me? Is there something that's not right? Do I need to fix this? What's broken here? When my kids get on my nerves, you know what I say? Is this pride? And usually it is. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I'm trying to do something that I deem really important. (laughs) When you have kids, it's it's a funny, funny thing. There's times in your life where you really want to talk to your kids, but your kids don't want to talk to you. And you're, like, trying to get stuff out of them, trying to talk with them. It's like trying to have a conversation with a wall. And you're just not getting anything back from it. And then there's other times where your kids are like a fire hose and they will not stop. And you think to yourself, could you just, like, breathe for a second, kid? Like, you're going to hyperventilate. You haven't breathed in, like, three minutes. And you just want them to stop, you know? And when I think that, like, will you ever take a break? Can you give me silence for a minute? You know what the root of that is? Pride. You are frustrating me. You are getting on my nerves. Why? Because you're talking. I thought you wanted me to talk. I do, just not so much, right? It's a funny thing. My wife and I have disagreements, and I get short with her. I always stop and ask myself, is this pride? And 99 times out of 100, it is. So again, i got to check my heart because prides there right around the corner. And again, please understand, anytime you make peace with your sin and say, this is just who I am, you have chosen to stop growing as a Christian, and you've chosen to live in your sin. Simple as that. Because it's easy for you to say, I'm just a proud person. I always have been. Change it. And again, I'm not going to get into this, but this is important to understand. This is why when people say, you know, I feel like I've always been gay or I feel like I've always been attracted to people of the same sex. That's okay. I feel like I've been proud for as long as I remember. I'm really quick to get angry. I have a short fuse. It doesn't make it right. It's just who I am. But who I am is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that he can change me. That's the whole point. And so again, pride wants to say, well, it's just who I am. But no, We have to be who God has called us to be. Next, look for opportunities to invest what God's given you into the lives of others. I need to take what God has blessed me with and pass it on. I I sit in a room this morning with some of the wealthiest people in the world. And you might be looking around like, ooh, who is it? (laughs) Who is it? It's you. Did you know that 50% of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day? 50%. That means if you make more than $60 a month, you're in the top 50% richest in the world. Isn't that crazy? So It's interesting. The Bible charges those who are rich to take care of the needs of others. That's us. We're rich. So take what God's given you and bless other people. I said, well, Pastor, I'm, my budget's really tight. I didn't say financially give money to other people. I said, take what God's given you and bless other people. I got an email from uh, a young lady in our church this week who said, Pastor, uh, thanks for preaching the word every week, and uh, I look forward to to seeing you every single week. And I I reread that email probably a dozen times. shared it with my wife. It's one of the uh, girls who's grown up here in our church. And I thought, man, just that email, like five lines. I read it a dozen times this week. And it meant so much to me that someone would take time out of their day to think about me to be an encouragement. And so... you know how much encouragement costs? Zero. You know how much a kind word costs? Zero. You know, take a $5 Starbucks gift card and give it to somebody who says, hey, I've noticed you've been in church every single week. That encourages me. That'll change somebody's life. Well, nobody's ever given me a Starbucks gift card. <laughs> well, that's a spirit of pride and entitlement. Again, this is what we're trying to combat. We're trying to change the way that we think. Nobody's ever done anything for me? Good. Jesus did everything for you. Jesus paid it all. Now all to him I owe. How about that? So look for opportunities to take what God's given you and invest it in the lives of others. Finally, begin to look at life for what you can put into it, not what you can get out of it. Everybody wants to advance in their career, make more money, climb higher up the ladder, get a really cool title, maybe even get an office, company car. Everybody wants those things. Everyone wants to upgrade what they have. Get a nicer this, get a nicer that. Stop looking at life for that and look for what what can I put back out? What can I give to other people? How can I bless a single mom in our church? How can I bless a couple who's new in their marriage in our church? How can I be a blessing to the single adults in our church? How can I be a blessing to, you know, people who just had a baby? How can I be a blessing to the folks in our church that are older, maybe don't have family here? How can I invest in their lives? Who's someone that I can take what God's put in me and put it into them? That's when the Christian life takes on a, a totally new meaning. When I stop looking at it from what I can get, I begin looking at it as far as what I can put out. So be a Christian that invests in the lives of others. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure you're saved. You're not 100% sure if you died today that heaven's your home. Please do not leave here without knowing for sure that you're saved. I'm not talking about becoming a Baptist. I'm not talking about joining our church I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm talking about knowing for sure there's been a time, a date, a place in your life where you were born again and you know for sure that you're saved. Because please understand this. If you are not saved and you want to live a humble life of service and love and putting other people first, that's great. But when you die, you're going to go to hell. And so you just lived a really moral life until you met God's wrath and judgment. But the best thing in the world is to meet Jesus who will adopt you into his family who will forgive all of your sin, who will set you on a path that you've never known before and give you everything you've been looking for in your life. I want to encourage you, if you get the opportunity to be here at 4 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to get the opportunity to go out and serve our community in love and humility uh, and service. In a way, not to draw people to us or see who we are, but to draw people to Christ and make Him great. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest This Sunday morning at 10am You'll find exciting classes for your keiki A welcoming church family And a message from the Bible That's sure to encourage your heart Join us this Sunday You belong here